This is The Doctor Is In, your bi-weekly podcast that discusses all things technical and not so technical. The Doctor Is In podcast is produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and sponsored by DX Engineering, helping you shrink the globe. See their website at www.dxengineering.com. And now, here's your host, QST editor Steve Ford, WB8IMY, and the doctor himself, Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Hello and welcome to The Doctor Is In. I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY. And I'm Joel Hallis, W1ZR. In keeping with the festive season, Joel, let's do a mailbag. All right. Straight out of the box, Joel, we have a question from Joe, KS1I, and he's asking, why do we use 13.8 volts DC as a power source instead of 12 volts? That's a perfectly good question for which I honestly don't know the answer. I guess the short answer is we use 13.8 volts because equipment manufacturers have designed their equipment to operate from 13.8 volts. Well, duh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, why did they pick that is a good question also. Yes. You know, we think of uh, uh, automotive uh, battery voltage as 12 volts. We have, you know, it used to be 6 volts. Now it's 12 volts. And uh, that's the nominal voltage from a wet cell battery that's uh, been charged but is not being charged. It's, it's uh, you know, sometimes it's 12.6 and it'll drop down after a while to 12. But that's that's kind of the nominal voltage. So we call it 12 volts. But when the engine is running with the ch- with the um, alternator putting power into the battery, it actually ends up being closer to 13.8 volts. You know, that varies to a certain extent with the engine speed and the battery load, but that's, the, that's where the 13.8 comes from. And most of the time, if you think about it, when you're operating your gear, it's uh, with the engine running because otherwise if you operate your gear with the engine not running, when you go to start the car, it doesn't start. Yes. <laughs> if you've done it for a while. 13.8 volts is... Uh, the voltage that you'll equipment will get when it's um, connected to the battery and the battery's being charged. So that's the key answer. But a little historical uh, perspective might be useful. In the old days when we had vacuum tube tr- transceivers, the tube gear required a separate power supply to provide the operating voltages needed by the radio. Usually there was one for 120 volts operation at home, AC operation, and a separate one for 12 volts DC for mobile use. By designing solid-state gear to match automotive power, the need for one of the supplies was eliminated. So you could run your 12-volt nominal transceiver directly from the automotive power supply. Okay. And the typical radio spec is actually 13.8 plus or minus 15%, which results in an operating voltage of range of 11.7 to 15.9. So it, it actually covers 12 volts. So if the battery is down to 12 volts, it should work. It can go up to 15.9, which is a little higher than you usually encounter on an automotive system. Now, not all manufacturers of radios are very good about having them operate at the low end, particularly. During product reviews, we measure the range of um, voltages that transceivers can operate from to give you a little idea of what, uh, what you can expect in that regard. So do the power supply manufacturers then design for 13.8 as well, or how does that work? You're talking about an AC supply? Yes, yes. Yeah, usually they do, I believe. I mean, if you look at the specs, they'll say what they... And again, it can be, you know, the radio can operate from that whole range, 11.7 to 15.9. So, But in my experience, the ones I have typically are running 
around 13.8. When did all this start? It seems like there was a point at which the conversation (laughs) translated or transitioned to, oh, it's 12 volts, it's 12 volts, and then suddenly it became 13.8. Well, I think uh, when people said 12 volts, they really meant (laughs) 13.8. Oh, their, their language just got a little more specific, you're saying. I think that's true. Okay. Because the car electrical systems have always been that way. Yeah, it just seemed to me, and I, for some reason, I thought perhaps sometime in the 70s, you used to see rigs even stamped on the chassis. It would say 12 V as in Victor, 12 volts. Of course, now it's 13.8. So at some point, they, they made that transition. Yeah. I'm not sure when. But they were designed to work for automotive supplies, and that was, um, th- with the engine running, that's typically 13.8 volts. Okay. Well, we have another question out of the mailbag here. Uh, this one is from Jim, W0HJ, and he's asking, I'm a recently retired ham, and I want to reactivate my station on HF, mainly on CW, but this will be in a second-floor apartment and must do this very stealthily. I've come up with the idea of using a commercial 40 to 15 meter remotely tuned magnetic loop antenna for the patio that could handle 100 watts. What do I do for a ground in the apartment? Oh, the proverbial, what do we do on the second floor or third floor or fourth floor? Yeah, Yeah, I know. This comes up a lot. One thing to keep in mind is that you don't really need a ground. No. There are some antennas that do need a ground. A Marconi antenna requires a good ground system as as sort of the other side of the antenna. And uh, and fed wire requires a ground as the other side. But um, antennas such as yours don't require a ground to operate. You think about it, you know, people have been operating from airplanes and yes. <laughs> cars and boats. Zeppelins. Yeah, with, <laughs> without having to worry about grounds. Uh, but, but you should have a ground for electrical safety and perhaps for lightning protection. That usually is not an issue for an indoor station, and I wouldn't think you'd have much uh, lightning indoors. Well, you could. You could. <laughs> you could, but, uh, you know, that's the radio is the last thing you're going to be thinking about. Yeah, exactly. That's why the electrical safety should be covered by normal AC wiring with the ground green wire of the power cable that goes from each socket to the grounded electrical panel if the building is properly wired. Now, you may want to add a wire from your transceiver ground terminal to a cabinet screw of the power supply because for DC power, uh, the, the ground may not connect to the chassis ground in the in the radio. It's um, good to keep everything properly grounded. Absolutely. Now, I reviewed a um, MFJ1780, another small loop, in a QST product review, and suggest you look that over since my experiences may carry over to yours. While different in shape and price from yours, it's important to read about the cautions about RF exposure that I included in my review of a commercial oh, yeah. HF loop in the May. Can't leave that out. No. It was in the May 2019 issue of QST. Make sure all people and pets stay at least 15 feet away while transmitting at 100 watts. Even my cat. Even your cat. Well, it depends on if you're, you know, what, what your future plans are for your cat. But <laughs> if you want the cat to be around. Yes. And not have hugely fluff fur. Right. Yeah. It's not certain exactly what the effects are of the RF, but if you stay at least 15 feet away, you will not have detrimental effects. No. If you, if you go 14 feet Will you? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know what they will be, and I don't think anybody can really tell you. But 
But that's a safe distance determined by people that spend a lot of time thinking about this. The other things you have to worry about with indoor systems and, and systems that are close to indoors, like on your patio, is interference, radio frequency interference, both from your radio to other systems and from other systems to your radio. Because when I tried that loop antenna indoors, I did cause problems with local system. Um, yeah, I remember you uh, talking about that. But um, I did hear RFI from how household systems on some bands, and this may be an issue with any antenna close to the house. Many are successful running indoor antennas without neighbor problems, but it depends sure. on how, how poorly defined, designed, I'm sorry, how poorly designed the systems are and how close they are to where your antenna is. So bear that in mind. And, and um, I guess the thing I worry about most when uh, I think about interference to systems is setting off alarms, particularly yes. if you're in a shared environment, and you have uh, fire alarm systems running, wiring running around in the attic near where your antenna might be or whatever, that you can uh, get into some trouble with that. So when you hear the fire uh, engines coming, you may want to <laughs> turn your radio off. Hide the antenna. Hide the antenna. <laughs> well, Joel, let's take a break. You're from DX Engineering, okay. and we shall return. Our fellow hams have told us how much they love receiving the DX Engineering catalog. It's 132 pages of amateur radio heaven packed with competitively priced equipment. You'll find everything from multiband Yagis to whip antennas, the latest base transceivers to mobile radios, and every accessory under the sun. But the catalog only represents a small part of what DX Engineering offers. When you visit DXEngineering.com, you'll find thousands of items from trusted names like ICOM, Yesu, Kenwood, and Alinko. There's world-famous antennas from OptiBeam, E-Antennas, and M-Squared, Roan and American Towers, plus many more and shop a wide selection of innovative DX Engineering brand products. They're designed and manufactured by our team of amateur radio enthusiasts for hams just like you. Plus, you get the fastest shipping in the ham universe, and shipping is free on most orders over $99. Experience ham radio heaven at DXEngineering.com. That's DXEngineering.com. And we're back, Joel. And another question out of the mailbag is from Joe, W3TTT. Good CW call, isn't it? Yeah. I use a 50-foot length of coax for a 30-foot run to my multiband antenna that I use on all HF bands, and I coil the remaining length of the cable in my shack. Does this coil of about 12 inches in diameter have any impact on my antenna system performance? I bet you already know the answer to this one, don't you? <laughs> the coil of uh, coax will have two effects besides potentially getting stuck in a vacuum cleaner, yeah. which is maybe not as serious. It may be serious. Uh, one, the good news, it will act like a common mode choke, reducing any common mode signals coming down the outside of the shield. These would occur if using a center-fed dipole due to lack of balance of the feed point from hooking the shield of the coax directly to one side of your antenna or from your antenna coupling RF to the outside of the feed line. This occurs if the coax is not perpendicular to the antenna. Mm-hmm. For a multiband vertical antenna, the main mechanism would be coupling from the antenna to the shield of the coax, which is hard to eliminate unless the coax is buried or a common moke choke is inserted. Having a choke at the edge of the radial field will make the shield act like another radial, which is a good thing. Now, the bad news is that the uh, extra coax will add loss to your antenna system. The amount of loss will depend on two factors, the standing wave ratio and the length of the coax. It also depends on the uh, type of coax. You don't say what type you're using or, more importantly, what type of multiband antenna you have. If it is one with a low standing wave ratio, such as a trap dipole or multiple dipoles in parallel, the extra loss will not be much of an issue. If the uh, SWR is uh, 
10 to 1 as it might be with uh, using a dipole on a different band than it's designed for, and your coax is uh, the thin RG58, you will introduce more than 2 dB of extra loss on 10 meters with this as an That's example. significant. That is significant. Yeah. That's a third of an S unit, which oh, yeah. I guess is significant. So it depends. But if it's a matched antenna, the loss in uh, 20 feet of coax is uh, not much on HF. No. Good. Very good, Joel. And the next one is from Wayne, N8KIM. And he's asking, I have a built-in SWR meter in each of my two HF radios. I also have two outboard SWR meters. He's got a lot of meters. Uh, <laughs> while testing my new beam antenna, none of these SWR meters agree with each other. Of course they don't. Uh, they range from 1.1 SWR on one radio to 1.7 SWR on the other radio, up to 3 to 1 with my outboard SWR meter. How can I find out which one is correct? And they, he says that they all read 1 to 1 with his dummy load, which I would expect. So which one does he believe and which one does he just toss out the window? Or Well, you probably can toss all of them out the window. I mean, <laughs> SWR meters tend to be not terribly accurate for giving an actual measurement, but they are often good at indicating a match. So yes. when the reflected power is zero, they indicate that, and that's um, a good thing. And I guess what I would suggest is getting a... Uh, Good quality antenna analyzer, which tend to be, and actually you can look at the product reviews and they'll tell you what, uh, how accurately they measure impedance in SWR. That should give you a good estimate of what the actual SWR is. Now, it's important that you pay attention to what your radios think is happening because the uh, radio's SWR meter is also used to provide an indication of mismatch that uh, will, will make your uh, transceiver reduce power in a fold-back arrangement that's designed to, to preserve the radio and, and keep it from getting damaged due to high SWR. So it's important that the SWR that your radio thinks is happening is actually what's happening. Otherwise, you'll end up with the yes. power folding back when it uh, shouldn't. Now, there's another thing that could be going on here, and I've, I've done this. Everybody's done this, and that's to make sure none of your patch cables used to ensure your, insert your SWR meters or anything else in the line happens to be 75-ohm instead of 50-ohm cables. Yeah. And um, at the higher HF range, the impedance transformation due to the mismatch can result in the kind of results you were seeing. For example, a quarter wave of standard coax at 10 meters is only about six feet long. And if it has a Z0 of 75 ohms, it will transform a perfect 50 ohm match to 112 ohms for an SWR of 2.25 to 1. Hmm. And your match doesn't have to be that far from, from 1 to 1 to get the kind of results you were seeing with just a mismatch jumper. So that's one thing to, to bear in mind. And, and uh, I suggest putting uh, some kind of marks on your <laughs> coax so it's obvious what's what. In some cases, it doesn't really matter, particularly on the receive side of things. It doesn't usually matter very much on HF if you're off. But on the transmit side, you can definitely get a change in the uh, standing wave ratio. You could also go a little crazy trying to figure out what's going on. So I suggest you take a look at that as well. Absolutely. We have a lengthy question here. This one is from Tony. WB1GUQ. And he's asking, I have always put up dipoles with window line and I enjoy very wide band usage. It can get tricky to get it to work, as you state in your November 2019 QSD article, the 
Center-fed ZEP almost always works, but are there certain advantages to just using coax? If you're putting up a dipole and have a choice of using coax or window line, why would you use coax? Doesn't feeding with window line give you more possible bands to work than feeding with coax? Less loss, too. I mean, he has a point, Joel, and we stress window line an, an awful lot, but coax still has its place or people wouldn't be using it. Absolutely correct. I mean, coax has advantages. If you have a matched antenna, typically a single band dipole, for example, the losses are not excessive for a good coax of reasonable length. It can be rolled up, put in pipe, laid on or under the ground if it's rated for direct burial. An antenna tuner isn't needed. The radio is designed to directly feed coax, so you have no tuner losses, and it's easy to bring into and through the house. Now, if you go to multiple bands, the window line or open wire line with a wide range tuner becomes the feed system of choice in most cases. But there are a lot of multi-band antennas that can be fed directly with coax, trap dipoles, parallel connected dipoles, and others. So you can have multi-band antennas without resorting to window line or uh, open wire line. And even within a band, on 80 meters, a dipole that's trimmed for the center of the band, 3.75 megahertz, could have a 1 to 1 SWR at that frequency, but it'll typically have a 5 to 1 SWR at the edges of the band because the fractional bandwidth on 80 meters is so much higher than on many of the other bands. Now, the good news is is that uh, even a 5 to 1 SWR on 80 meters doesn't cause a lot of loss in good quality coax, but still it requires some, usually some kind of an antenna tuner, even though you're using coax. So yes, it doesn't always eliminate the need for an antenna tuner. That's true. By the time most of you hear this podcast, it's going to be just a few days before Christmas. So uh, we'll take the opportunity to wish everyone the best of the holiday season. And we're saving what I suppose you could call bad news for last after a fashion. Bad news to some, but not necessarily all bad. And that, <laughs> and that is that we've come to the end of the road, folks. And by that, I mean, this is the last Doctor Is In podcast. Uh, the reason for it is that starting in 2020, ARRL is going to be unloading a completely different series of podcasts, social media platforms. We have the new On The Air magazine that's going to be coming up. Joel will still be with us. He's still going to continue to write and edit the Dr. Is In column for QST. And Joel, I'm going to be doing a new podcast probably in early 2020, and I'd like to bring you in on that to answer some questions as well, if you're if you're willing. I'm certainly willing. If I'm able, I'm I'm happy to do that. I mean, we've, we've been doing this for almost four years. And in the podcast world, that's a long run for a podcast. I think we've done pretty darn well. And it's getting harder and harder to find new topics to talk well, about. Well, that's true. That is true. <laughs> but speaking of new topics, until we get these new podcasts all queued up and ready to go, I've asked Joel to go through the Doctor Is In archive, because I know some of you haven't been listening throughout these entire four years. Joel is going to go through and select what he feels are some of the best of the older podcasts that we've done, and we're going to rerun those through January, possibly through February. So while the podcast, in a sense, is going away, in another sense, it is not going away, at least not right away. And of course, the archive will always be available on the ARRL website at www.arrl.org slash doctor. And all the episodes, including this one, will be there. And Joel, do you have anything to say? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, um, I want to also wish everyone uh, season's greetings and a happy new year. Also, it's been a real pleasure doing this. I, I've uh, it's funny that um, I, I'm not I was not particularly aware of podcasts until. Steve called me up and said, hey, you want to do a podcast? And I said, oh, whatever you want, I'll do it. <laughs> and then I had to find out what it was. I even had a tie on because I didn't know what, whether we were talking about something on video or. You know, you're right. I forgot. You did come in with a tie. Yes. And, and now I just wear my Bermuda shorts and a T-shirt. So <laughs> sounds the same. Anyway, it's been an interesting experience for me, and I've enjoyed working with Steve, who's uh, fun to work with. And I've enjoyed working with you, and well, you're, you. you're equally fun to work with. <laughs> I always look forward to our recording sessions. Yeah. Well, and you will still hear Joel in 2020. And Joel, I look forward to you picking your, uh, your best of. I will work on that. Thanks, Joel. My pleasure. Thank you. If you have a question for the doctor, email us at doctor at ARRL.org. The Doctor is In podcast is sponsored by DX Engineering at www.dxengineering.com. Background music provided by Purple Planet at www.purple-planet.com. This podcast is copyright ARRL. All rights are reserved. Until next time, I'm QST Managing Editor Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, 73, and thanks for listening.